Hello, it's Rabbi Josh Warshawski, and you're listening to Drinking and Drashing, Torah with a Twist. Stay tuned for some Midrashic mixology coming up right now. It's not the right to now. Be funny. It's not coming right now. No, it has to be funny. It was coming later. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. I have really loved the way that our podcast has been coming together so far, haven't you? Totally. I mean, we stick to a regular schedule, one Parsha a week. Absolutely. Just like Jews. But only one. Right. One portion a week. Just one. Just one. Never more than one. Never more than one. Right, Don? Yeah. Okay. So for this episode, our 19th episode that's coming up right now, it's a single portion and there's just one, not more than one. Right. It's Vaikel. What? Yeah, this week's story portion is Vayakel. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it, it's Pekudei. No, it's Vayakel. It's I checked Pekudei. the Reform Judaism website. It's definitely Pekudei. No, it's Vayakel. Guys, 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 it's Vayakel Pekudei. It's a double Parsha. What? Oh... genuinely so happy because with a dual portion this week we have such an amazing duo to join us we are so happy to welcome rabbi josh warshawski and jackson mercer to this episode rabbi josh warshawski is a nationally touring jewish musician song leader and composer josh seeks to build intentional praying communities and travels to synagogues camps and schools across the country sharing his music and teachings on prayer he is originally from Chicago and has released three albums of Jewish music, many songs from which Gabe sings on a pretty regular basis, with a fourth on the way in 2021. Josh's melodies are written intentionally to express the deep meaning of the words of our tradition. Josh was ordained by the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies in Los Angeles. And man, Josh Jackson, so excited to have such a musical duo on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Thank you. This is great. We work as a package, so this was awesome. This is like PE class. It's a package deal. Yeah, you get one, you get both of us. Dynamic duo. <laughs> Amazing. So as opposed to two Ps in a pod, it's two Js in a podcast? Lo- I love that. Love that. Well played. That now, are we, are we starting our own podcast, two Js in a podcast? Mm. We can't. I We're not going to compete. It. We're not going to compete with this podcast. Nothing is better than this podcast. I would listen to that podcast. Maybe it could be one of those commentary podcasts, like the West Wing podcast, but it's a commentary podcast on your Torah podcast. Oh, I would be so into that. I like that. It's a Parshanute class. But it's meta. It's like commentary on commentary. I love that. <laughs> it's a super, that's called super commentary. It's very, it's very Jewish. It's straight up Talmud. <laughs> hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. So I know that you're getting a little annoyed with me. Why is that? Well, each week I ask you to do a Parsha rundown in 30 seconds, and each week you tell me you can't do it. Yeah, no, I've I've been trying really hard, and 
you know, I think I finally got it. Okay, so I I should ask you to do a 30 second rundown this week. I just I just need this one more chance and then then I think I can do it. Okay. So Gabe, this seems like it could be a really complicated portion. I mean, it's a double portion. You're sure you can do a 30 second rundown? You know what? I'm pretty sure I can do it. Idan, get out your stopwatch. All right, we ready? Here we go. There are three verses of Don't Do Stuff on Shabbat. Then we get four long chapters of all the minutiae of the materials and the building and the crafting of the tabernacle and all the priestly garments. Shout out to Bezalel. Then the Mishkan is built and the priests are anointed. Yay, priests! Finally, there's a cloud. More specifically, God's presence is indicated by a cloud during the day and a fire at night. And that's Vayakhel Pikudei. Boom. <laughs> Did you it. Can, like tie it up in a knob. What, what do we got to talk that about? Nice. That was it. There there we go. I mean, that's I could do that on one foot. That's <laughs> You know, on a podcast, I'm not sure that it would matter. It's not they can't see you. <laughs> in that case, <laughs> I did that on one foot. Exactly. There we go. So he did that on one foot. So Josh, Jackson, Edon, we were all here and gave a hundred percent no lies did that while standing on one foot. In fact, we were all standing on one foot. In under thirty seconds. I would like to get my t-shirt that says I was there when Gabe stood on one foot and did it in under 30 seconds. This is the one time that's ever going to happen. It's never going to happen again. (laughs) Okay, so with all the excitement about this tour portion and this episode, things got a little cloudy and I realized that I forgot to say hello to two very important people. I was really so wrapped up with these two J's in a podcast. So first and foremost, to my favorite co-host, hello, Gabe. How's it going today? I'm good. How are you? Things are popping. And to the most wonderful podcast editor that everybody keeps asking for, what's up, Edon? Hello there. How's, How's it going? How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's going great. How's it going with you? Just dandy. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So Rabbi Josh Warshawski, you are our first guest ever from the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies, which is a really exciting moment. And also, can you tell us a little bit about the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies? What is it? What'd you learn there? I learned so much there. I'm so proud to be the first guest, first but not the last. Uh, the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies is the conservative movement's rabbinical school on the West Coast. Uh, I migrated out to the West. I went to JTS, the conservative movement's rabbinical school on the East Coast for undergrad at List College. And then I, you know, flew away over to California to try out what Jewish life on the West Coast is like. And uh, and it is, uh, it's pretty fantastic. I thought I was going to be there for a year, and then I ended up staying for six years because the school seemed so great and the community was so great. Music was so great. So uh, that's uh, where I became a rabbi. Okay, well, just wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're a rabbi. Rabbi is rabbi and cantor sing, right? Isn't that what it is? Isn't that what happens? I don't know. I, now I'm confused. <laughs> Wait, Gabe, don't they tell us that like rabbis are supposed to rabbi and only cantors are supposed to sing? I don't like when people put me in boxes. 
I grew up in a community in a synagogue in Chicago, uh, the Chicago suburbs, that didn't have a cantor. And uh, so that was never really part of my growing up Jewish experience. Um, people from the congregation got up and, and led, led services, led prayer all the time. And as soon as I was old enough and became a bar mitzvah, I became part of the rotation. And I, I loved the music of prayer. And, uh, and so that sort of pulled me along all this way. But uh, I, I was really always engaged with the learning of the text. I really love the words of our tradition. So that's the direction that I always wanted to go in. And, and the, the music sort of came along, along with it and became the medium through which I was able to express all of those ideas. That is incredible. So what I hear you saying is a rabbi can be a musician, a rabbi can be a teacher, a rabbi can be a podcast host, if so they choose. Anything's game, as long as there's like a love of some connection to the Jewish community, Jewish culture, Jewish tradition. I mean, intentional choices. That's what we're all about. I love it. Beautiful. So with all of the song leading and touring that you do, what really drives you to create such beautiful, meaningful music? I think what's been what's been most motivational for me is uh, helping people find meaning. I think right we're we're a generation we're a community now of of meaning seekers. We're looking for inspiration and connection all over the place. And I believe that we could find so much of that meaning and intention and inspiration within Judaism that it's possible here. It, it, it's here. It's in the tradition. If only we can be opened up to it. If only we can realize that it's there and and open it up in our own hearts. So uh, that's sort of been my mission. And I use that when I craft melodies it's it's in trying to think about how the words of our tradition what what they originally intended to say and how the melodies can help to better express those ideas and how we can use that to open up the ideas and meaning in our own hearts and souls and use that to guide the way that we live our lives that's great you know in one of my cantorial school classes and in fact in several of my cantorial school classes we've had conversations about music as midrash right this idea that music itself and the way we set text can be its own commentary, can add something new to the tradition. So I hear you saying, like, what is the traditional interpretation of these texts and how would that interpretation be set to music? I'm not sure as a listener and as a lover of some of your music that all of your melodies reflect a traditional understanding or if they do might reflect your lens on a traditional understanding. So I'm curious how that concept of musical midrash might play into your songwriting. That's a fascinating question. I, I think yeah, there, there's definitely a way that the, that the texts were intended and, and the, you know, the liturgy was all written by people, right? These were human beings who crafted all these ideas and they were thinking and praying and feeling people. And so what I mean when I'm thinking about how to express what they were trying to say originally, I, I'm trying to think what frame of mind were they and why, why did they write these words and why did they put them in this order? And, and what emotions brought them to those ideas. And, you know, when I'm crafting some of these melodies, I'm expressing some of those emotions. And sometimes the, the way that they wrote them out doesn't fit with the way that I walk in the world. And so I want to be able to use those ideas and those concepts and those understandings and lift them off the page in a way that fits with our 21st century understanding of what it means to be a person and what it means to be a Jew in the world. Um, and so I'm trying to sort of mold those two ideas together and hold on to both at the same time and sort of bring them out as best I can. I just want to say I love that. And we'll honestly say to our listeners that I just messaged that to Edan and said in all capital letters, love that. This idea of trying to reach people where they're at is, is not a new idea, right? But this idea of 
choosing to lead in your own way because you don't like the path that's there for you and you want to help others create to forge a new path together I have to say like that that's a really exciting prospect especially for somebody who leads a community through words through song through games through chants I I think that it is not something that people usually think of when they hear the word rabbi. Totally. I was just said uh, the rabbinical assembly is having their convention right now, which is all the, the movement of the conservative rabbis. And so I was just at a session with Rabbi Eddie Feinstein, the rabbi of Valley Beth Shalom in, uh, in Los Angeles, a really large conservative synagogue, and just like a, a brilliant speak. I could just listen to him speak all day long. He was talking about the improvisational rabbi. And basically his idea was that rabbis have always been improvisational and I would say clergy have always been improvisational. And, and, and the idea is that like from the very beginning of, of the time that Judaism came to America, we had to figure out what Judaism was going to look like and how we we're going to make it accessible for the people who are coming into our buildings or not coming into our buildings, but we wanted to get them there. And in every generation, that answer has looked differently. And, you know, I think that you're absolutely right that, that when we're presented with opportunities and, and we're able to sort of pursue our passions and pursue our passions through Judaism, hopefully that will allow more people to see themselves within the framework of the of our Jewish tradition, that there's so many pathways to being a Jew, there's so many ways to be a clergy, and all that we can do is is bring all those people together and allow them to, to infuse Judaism into their passions and vice versa. So what I'm hearing you talk about is a kind of, I'm, I'm going to use like a theoretical term and I'm going to explain it for a second. But I hear you talking about almost a utopian version of Judaism. Utopian not in the sense of, like, paradise, but utopian in the sense that it is without place. That it's not locative. That it's not around one central physical geographic axis. And I'm I'm curious how that relates to this Torah portion in particular. Because we have this idea of we need to meet people where they're at. We want people to come into our buildings, we, whatever path they're on. We want to meet them on that path they're on. And then in this Torah portion, we have the building of the Mishkan. We have the building of the tabernacle, a very specific physical place. And that's where God's presence is. And you know it's there because there's the cloud and there's the fire. So how do we square those two ideas of we have to meet people where they're at on the path they're on. And also, there is a physical place. There is something special that they might need to get to. Yeah, I think I feel that tension. I feel that tension a lot of like, you know, location-based Judaism versus like, how can we bring Judaism to people where they are? And and I I, I grew up in the, you know, in the Chicago suburbs, as I mentioned, it, a part of a lot of Jewish institutions, right? Buildings. I went to Jewish day school. I went to Jewish high school. I went to Jewish summer camp. I went to a really wonderful conservative synagogue. And and all these things were, were buildings. And, and how can we... What, what, Buildings don't fit everybody. Not everybody wants to walk into a building. And how can we figure that out? And I think, you know, what, what you're saying about this this parasha, it's got this location, but the key to the location is is what's being brought into it, right? They built the Mishkan themselves. And they built it with all the stuff that they brought with them. And not only did they bring it with them, but each person had to bring it like of their own heart, right? It was like kol nadiv libo, right? Everybody had to volunteer the gifts of their own hearts. And, you, you know, you mentioned a shout out to Betzalel in your 23 second summary, right? There's, there's these artisans who were amazing craft makers and 
they brought everything from themselves into this space, right? There's a specific two or three verses in the Parsha about like the amazing wise women who not only just brought the like raw materials, but were able to like sew and put it together and weave and like craft these amazing things that were bringing themselves to the space. So the space that even though it was it was technically, you know, a building, first of all, it was, it was a building that moved uh, because they brought it with them wherever they were going. And also it was a building that had a piece of each one of them on top of it. And it wasn't just like a plaque that said they donated, you know, $18 to the synagogue. Thanks for donating. This is the, you know, the the Josh Roshosky mezuzah. <laughs> it was like they he they built that mezuzah and brought it over there. And it didn't need to have their name there because they knew when they walked in there that it had a piece of their, themselves, a piece of their heart in it. So I think that that, you know, that sort of, it, it opens up the, the the permanence of that place to being something that you can feel you can return to and that somebody else can feel like, oh, look, I'm walking into this space and it's built up of everyone's things. What what can I contribute to the to the foundation of this place, to the continuation of this space. And I think that's, you know, in some ways, that's what that's what the book of Exodus is all about. It's like the whole thing is a journey. It's like from the beginning of the Jewish people until this moment when they're like, then now they have this, this tabernacle where God's presence is going with them, Behold Masehem, or the last words of the Parsha, right? On every journey they go on to now, they now have this piece of themselves and this piece of the divine that can come with them. I mean, I think it's true. The Exodus is literally a journey, you know, through through the wilderness to, to where we need to be. I have a few thoughts about some things that you just talked about. One is, and Gabe did not mention this in his summary, and so we're going to call him out on it right now. All right? Gabe, the people brought all of the things that were mentioned in the previous Parshas, correct? He, he, yes. Including what, Gabe? Dolphin skins. Including dolphin skins. Yeah, that that is a thing that uh, is mentioned a couple of times. So so lucky that they had them in the desert. Yeah, it's a little confusing how that happened. It's a gift from the heart, you guys. This is a real thing. But the real thought that I have, I think there is something so extraordinary that I'd like to spend a little time on, which is that Moses has to tell the people to stop giving. They give so much of themselves that Moses literally says... Every man and woman and will add in here for us, every human, don't do anything more. Don't do another task. Nothing more. The Torah HaKodesh for this gift, for the sanctuary, for the holy. And I'm curious how we deal with that right now when a lot of us are trying to give and give and give as much as we can during this pandemic. And, and what our limits are and how to see them. I think that's a super important question. And and, and it, we all have limits. And it's, it's, it's amazing that, you know, a lot of the times we don't name them. And the fact that Moses names that there's a limit here and that we should, we should stick to it is important. And I think also, you know, Gabe mentioned in the, the, the three verses in the very beginning of the Parsha also, where we get this like quick mention of Shabbat. And what is Shabbat, if not a time for us to pause and reflect on all the things that we're giving and all the things that we're supposed to be doing? And there's this really interesting thing that happens in that first verse where Moses brings all the people together, and then he says, right, here's all the things that you're supposed to do. And then he says, on Shabbat, don't do anything. And the question is like, okay, so what is it that we're supposed to do? We just were told we're supposed to do them, but then we like then then we get Shabbat, and and the idea is that 
we're supposed to follow Moses' example. Right? We're supposed to do what Moses does. We're supposed to gather people, which is really hard to do right now. And, and it's really draining. And whenever we're able to even get together virtually, it's really, it's, it's hard to do it. And, and everybody feels like we're at our limits. And, and so in that way, we're supposed to learn from Moses' example too, in gathering other people to, to help us when, we're, when we need help, right? When Moses gathered the 70 elders after Yitro told them that he was doing this bad thing by running the people by himself, we're supposed to ask for help. We're supposed to do all these things. We're supposed to be able to be aware of where our limits are and know how to say, I need help. And so that's, I think, this, this amazing lesson that we learned from Moses throughout the book of Exodus is the example of his leadership, of asking for help, of telling people when they're doing too much, and of embracing and holding people when we're, when we're bringing people together, encouraging people to give of themselves the same time you know i'm loving where this conversation has led us and i'm aware that it's led us a bit off of the path that we normally take we are very proudly a bit of a systematic and mildly predictable podcast in terms of the things we talk about so i want to take us back reel us in just a little bit because we were talking about your values, and we were talking about how you saw your role as a rabbi, your role as a Jewish leader. I'm wondering where you find the drive within that, and where you find the Jewish values within that drive. I thought it made sense. The drive, in a lot of ways, comes from it's hard right now because it, it comes from the gathering. It comes from, from getting together. Come, I, I get a lot of energy from being around people and, and from getting to share what I believe are the messages of our tradition with groups of people and helping to engage in conversations like this with people all over the place, right? I, in, you know, the, in the before times, I was traveling to Jewish communities like you know, Omaha, Nebraska and San Antonio, Texas, and then going to places like Cherry Hill, New Jersey and, and Los Angeles and, and Jewish people all over the place in all these communities that I was going to are, are hungry for meaning and connection, like we were talking about in the beginning. And, and, and the ability to just gather and have these conversations allows us to think about how we want to live our lives. Right? Anything can be, your, can be your synagogue, can be your, you know, your church, right? Also, in the before times, I was going to Soul Cycle a lot, and people have talked a lot about like how Soul Cycle is like its own. Every gym is like their own church, and like you know, every Tuesday night, if we were going to see my my teacher Katie, like Katie was my rabbi, and like she was running the service, she would give her sermon, and right in the middle, and and it was an inspiration, and I loved it. And every time, you know, every time there'd be a moment where we were like bringing in you know, all the people that like brought us to this moment, she said, can you like think about the people that brought you here today? And I'd say, oh, we're doing Yisker right now. And right, there's like all these moments that were like exactly like a service. And you could get that anywhere. But I, you know, for me, I, I, w I want that to come from Judaism because I believe in the power of our tradition. And so so that drives me to to engage in this conversation with as many people as I possibly can, right? You know, if, if you were to talk to me again next week, we'd probably have a very similar conversation because I just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a broken record on, <laughs> on a lot of these things. And uh, which I, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Um, but, you know, but I think that, that these values of living a positive life, living our lives with intention and making choices that matter are all values that come from Judaism. Like when I talk to kids about the Siddur and about prayer, it's all about how can we notice the things that are happening in our lives and mark those moments in time, right? That's what a bracha is. It's saying, oh, this thing is important to me right now. There's a rainbow. That's beautiful. I want to say something about it. Oh, I'm meeting a new person. There's a bracha that I can say right now, right? And that's that's what it means to live a life with intention. And so 
So that, that's, that's sort of where I'm coming from and, and what I hope to sort of express through this tradition is if we can take a look at, at these messages, they'll open us up to the possibilities and potential in our own lives. I think that's very real. Uh, and, and as somebody who struggles to, to quote, work a room, um, but loves having one-on-ones with as many people as possible, I, I find generally... Um, there's a phrase out there. I won't, I won't claim credit for it, but I don't know who said it. So if it was you, let us know millions of listeners, but they say that people come into our lives either as a blessing or to teach us a lesson. And sometimes I don't think those are always mutually exclusive, but I think that generally this ability to give from the heart, this ability to build communities from relationships, from one-on-one conversations are the most meaningful communities that I have found myself to be a part of. Um, And often I have seen those through camps. Nowadays, I am finding them in the strangest of ways, whether it's on Clubhouse, uh, shout out to everybody that listens from Clubhouse, or if it's on Facebook Lives or sharing on Instagram Reels. You know, it's an incredible opportunity to start to engage and get to know somebody on a deeper level. And I would even say during the pandemic, we're getting these private glimpses into each other's private lives, right? If you don't have a made up background, you know, we're able to see what's happening behind you and and what your what your life looks like, whether it is a beautiful painting or an epic shelving system or a lot of books or, you know, a beautiful, beautiful kitchen table. It, it is a really incredible opportunity to engage with and, and speak to somebody in a way that you never would have been able to before. Absolutely. It, it, there's so many new uh, new opportunities for connection that I think we had we just didn't even think about before, right? They, all these a lot of these technologies existed, but we weren't using them in the same way. And I think in some ways that's one of the. I was also just at Songwriter Bootcamp, and Elisa Rect always talks about silver learnings. And one of the silver learnings is that there are these things that we're never gonna we're never gonna not do anymore, right? If I'm gonna go to a community for an artist in residence weekend now, it used to be that I would come on Thursday and I would leave on Sunday, and sometimes I'd come back a couple months later. But that was our immersive experience. But now I'm going to work with the community for a, a four-week series over Zoom where I connect with the students and the teenagers. I connect with the community. There are ways that we can build that relationship beforehand and get to know each other before we have our immersive experience. The, the more that we can do to uplift and create intention around these activities, I think, is I think is awesome. You know, I'm I'm thinking about how many times I have said in my life, this could have been an email. And I'm wondering how many times we will say this meeting could have been a Zoom. I could have done this from home. And I think at this point, I think all of us want to get back into the room. I think we're feeling a little bit done. We've hit that pandemic wall of just wanting this to be over and to get back into our classrooms and into the sanctuary. But I can totally imagine a world where we say, you know what? I, I kind of want to work from home today, and I know how to do that now because we did it for, like, over a year. I, I could see that being something we keep with us, even if not immediately. I'm curious, because we are nearing the end of our time for this conversation, if you have a message or something you want to share, you want our listeners, your listeners, really, to walk away with after hearing this podcast? What What is your message, your call to action? Uh, I think if, if there's one thing that I would try and leave everyone with is 
Judaism is hard, right? It asks us to 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 do something. It asks for us to be a part of it, and I hope that that doesn't turn you away. And uh, and and all that all that really entails is that Judaism wants you to find your own place in it, right? Find your own passion, find your own connection to tradition. That there's there's something here, but it's only going to be here if you if you open up the book. Not just the book. You can you can open up the podcast. You can open up the right. But if you if you allow yourself to enter, if you walk in the door. If you stand on the, if you stand at the edge of the door, we, well, hopefully we're going to try and come out to you. But, uh, but, but if you can walk in the door, there's, there's so much potential to just be inspired by what we have to offer. And so my goal, and, and when I talk to students, when I talk to adults, anybody, that, especially when we're talking about prayer, which is what I talk about a lot, is that if you could find one new thing that inspires you, one thing that sort of flicks the switch in your head each time, that that's that's amazing. You're not going to feel, maybe you won't feel empowered, you won't feel motivated, you won't feel inspired by the entire thing the whole time. But if there's one moment that feels, oh, this is this is something, I've never thought about it this way before. If it leaves you with one more question as opposed to one more answer, I think that that's, that's what I'm hoping that that anybody can find when we, uh, when we approach anything connected with Judaism. Hi, this is Josh Warshawski. And I'm Jackson Mercer, and you're watching the Disney Channel. It is my pleasure, nay, it is my privilege to introduce Jackson Mercer as our Q&A guest for this episode. Jackson's work is at the nexus of tradition and creativity. He is the co-founder and mitzvah of Mitzvah at Hidor Mitzvah, a burgeoning Judaica collective focused on making meaningful modern Judaica for meaningful modern Jewish practice. Jackson is a member of the Havarai Nivarech Band, featured on Josh's latest album, as well as his upcoming Shabbat EP and Jackson's own album of Jewish music is set for release any minute. Like right now? Like this minute? Okay, maybe not this minute. We'll see. Along with writing children's books and leading communities in prayer, Jackson is a master's of Jewish education and candidate for rabbinic ordination at Hebrew College in Boston, Massachusetts, and thereby follows in the footsteps of another excellent Hebrew College rabbinical student, Tyler Dretch. Jackson, it is my, as I said, pleasure, privilege, honor to pass you the mic for your Q&A with the Josh Warshawski. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. This is so, so, so lovely. So Josh, we talked a lot about this week's Parsha, which I, you and I have actually talked a lot about this week's Parsha. And something that was left out of the 27 second uh, summary was the partnership between Vitzalel and Ohaliav of like having a partner in your co-creation work. If you've never heard of Ohaliav, I highly recommend just like doing a little Googling. There's some great there's some great content there. I'm curious, a lot of your work seems to be very personal, seems to be very individual going into communities. And I'm curious where you find partners in this work. How do you find partners in this work? Who are your partners in this work? You should give us like a two-sentence summary of Ohaliyev. Ohaliyev is like considered Bitsalel's like right-hand person. They're, they're also an artisan. They're also named outright as one of the people who's elevated in an artisan's way to help build the Mishkan. So even Bitzalel, a seemingly kind of on their own artisan, um, has a little bit of help, has a, has some support staff. Love it. Yeah, I, I think I, I definitely would be lost without the, the partners that I have in this work and in life. Um, 
Yeah, I mean the, the the trajectory of my of my music. We were just you were talking about the discography, but if you listen to like from the earliest album, where I didn't even know how to express how I wanted the music to sound, to the Chaverine of Arach band, where the whole point is that we're singing this music together with people. It's that if I sing it by myself, it doesn't capture what I want the music and the melodies to be doing and saying. Um, so it, it only really it only really comes alive, I think, when we're able to do it in, in community and, and with people. Um, so, you know, I have, you know, I, I travel around to communities, but the, the weekends that feel like the most elevating are the ones where I'm able to bring like a quartet with me and just like travel with like dear, dear friends and get to play music together. That's always the best, uh, which is always convenient that we have like, there's like three or four Jewish music conferences that happen over the course of the year that we can just like run into each other and just like all these like-minded and like-hearted people. So that, that's been really, really helpful in the work. And, and it's allowed me to also to, to craft music with, with a bunch of different people. I mean, Colleen Deeker, who's the, his violin and on a, the album and also co-wrote a whole bunch of the songs and somebody who I've just sat with and, and written music all the time. And then I have like a, a cohort that, you know, Jax and I are both in together of like dear friends who just share music with each other, which basically, you know, the name of that, that you know, the and friends is just about the fact that you can't do it without you can't do it without the people. I I was doing a concert in Hoboken, New Jersey, a couple of years ago, and uh, I didn't really I didn't I wasn't able to bring a band with me or anything, and so I just asked like eight friends in New York to come in and just do the concert with me, and we didn't know what to call ourselves, and so they said, why don't we just call it Josh Rosowski and Friends? And I wish everything was always Josh Rosowski and Friends, but really not. It really just and Friends, just all of us together, all together getting to do the music. And also, I have a, you know my my amazing partner Adina, who is really so supportive of all the music that I am putting out in the world, and is okay and, and happy for me to just get my energy from traveling and and being with other people, but then you know grounding me back here in in our home together and giving a, me a, an environment to create too. I have two follow-up questions. The first one being, this is going to be one of those derailing moments. I'm so sorry. <laughs> speaking of creative partnerships, speaking of and friends, if you needed, needed being the keyword, to have a Lucha Libre partner, like competitive costumed wrestling from inside the Jewish world, who's not me, because we know that that would be the most, that's just the most logical fit. J and J. Absolutely. Two J's in a Lucha Libre fight. Absolutely. Against someone else. Uh, <laughs> who, from the Jewish world as a whole, <laughs> would you choose? Jewish world or Jewish music world? Uh, are, that's well, like a, the expansive please options. Please don't preempt my questions. Sorry. <laughs> the, first, the first question is, who from the Jewish world would you, would you choose to have as a Lucha Libre partner? It's so expansive. I do, like, there's, there's too many. There's there's a, it comes to a point where a question has too many options, and you just like the the. Oh man! If you don't pick somebody, then you're going against a team of two other people by yourself. Two, by myself, so and then yeah, I would really not be doing what I had just been talking about with the partnerships and, exactly. and, and friends and and being with each other. Um, I mean, I think the only the only logical option is to choose Devora. Oh, that did not. That is not the answer I was expecting. Eddie Feinstein, Rabbi Eddie Feinstein, would have been a good answer as well. That's true, but he didn't, you know. Or, or and sorry, either Devorah or Yael, because then at least you get like she's got like a tent peg, and uh, you already know that she knows how to use it. So, <laughs> I changed my answer to Yael. <laughs> Great. Uh, follow up question to that follow up question would be if you could pick somebody from the Jewish music world, just from our 
just from our circle, this very niche of a niche of a niche to be your Lucha Libre partner, who would you pick? Again, can't be me. Right. Yeah. Your second pick, if you will. Right. My second pick. I mean, the first pick would, would clearly be you, you, because what I would do is I'd make sure that we were dressed the same and then I would just hide behind you. So they thought it was just one of us because exactly. we're so similar. Um, but if I couldn't do that, I think I'd have to go with Shira Klein. Oh, just, she's just so magnificent choice. and energetic and amazing and wise. And a past guest of the podcast. Oh, really? Oh, amazing. There you go. Um, and I, I, I knew that I had to choose somebody who had been on the podcast before, um, but I would have chosen her That was her the anyway. correct answer, actually. <laughs> nice. Oh, there you go. That was good. Wow, you nailed it. Um, great. That was my silly question. Uh, you had spoken earlier about how you get energy from being in these spaces. Um, and I know that from you. I think it's one of the most interesting things about us is we're very different people. I do not feel that way. Um, we get energy in very different ways. One thing specifically that I'm super, super curious about is I know you're excited to be in person and be able to sing with people again. Um, what's going to be the first thing that you sing with people? I, I think there, there have been a couple of the, the melodies that I've written over the last couple of years that I've been holding with me a lot over the last while. Um, and one of them has been given a lot of new inspiration and insight, uh, because of you, uh, because of a teaching that you shared with me that one of your teachers shared with you, Evan Leader, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and about, um, how in, in a time of crisis for the Jewish people in, in 1897, there was a plague in the city of Bombay and the Jewish community of Bombay reached out to the Ben Ishchai, who was the chief rabbi of Baghdad at the time and asked them to write, write, write them a siddur of prayers to say during a plague. And right in the, in the center fold of that siddur are these words of Psalm 59, sort of repeated like a mantra backwards and forwards. Um, and I had a melody to those words. And um, just the, the end of it is just Uzi Elacha Azamara, my strength, I will sing out to you. Um, the idea being that that through being together or through singing together or through just feeling that you're a part of a community, you're able to then have the courage to find your own strength and to find your own voice. And I uh, have been singing that a lot over the course of the pandemic, um, but the, the melody comes out when you're able to sing it with other voices. And I have a looping pedal and I've added some of my own harmonies, but I haven't been able to hear it in somebody else's voice in 10 months. And and so, um, and that was, you know, one of my foundational music memories over the last couple of years is being able to sing that in, in groups of people, uh, having a Shira and other places. And, 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 uh, and so I I'm picturing it and desiring and waiting to be, to be back in that moment to, to, to craft that melody with the way that it's supposed to be sung with, with, uh, with other people. I just have one super quick question. Um, you're constantly finding interesting, thought-provoking text that's been there the whole time that people have maybe just overlooked without saying what it's for, without saying what it's going to sound like. Is there a text right now that you're just particularly drawn to that it's like screaming? In Midrash, they have like a line that says like, Josh me, Josh me. Like, is there a, is there a line that's saying like, Josh me, Josh me? Ugh. Ugh. I like it. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I got to partner with uh, another Anne friend and dear, dear friend Eliana Light on a, I 
tefillah kala uh, right before song and her boot camp we were just talking about prayer and uh, I got to just share sort of what I the themes of shacharit the morning service in a nutshell and uh, and the third section is about geula redemption and uh, there's one there's like a, a bunch of verses that are in the middle of a paragraph that go right before Michamocha that are about how awesome God is. Ram Venisa Gadovanora. Oh, amazing. God is so awesome. And then we go up to this like Michamocha, but in between it's Mashbil Geim Shefalim, lowers the prideful and raises up the downtrodden. Motzi Asirim, who frees the, the captives, Ufode Anavim, and lifts up the poor. The Ozer Dalim, the people who really need help. And answers the call of those who call out to God. Um, and, and the idea of Michamocha, I then realized, which I'd never thought of before, is what does it mean to be, like, we call out Michamocha, who is like you, but really we're saying, how do we be like you? It's by doing all of those things that we just said, right? Releasing the captive and lifting up the downtrodden and helping those who can't help themselves. And that's what, that's what redemption really means. It's like taking responsibility for all those things. And, uh, and so I've like read past those words for like, you know, 20 years. And so now I, I would like there to be another melody for them, but I don't have one yet. Soon by you. Soon by all of us. I mean, I mean, I heard there's like a, there's like some other, like a, there's Jewish music, more Jewish music coming out very soon that also sort of takes at this idea of, uh, of finding some of the texts that are in, in various different places in the, in the Sudor in our Jewish canon and open them up in different ways. Um, I'm wondering if you might have any more information about that. I don't know when, you're planning on releasing it, but Josh has this really awesome Shabbat EP that he's been working on. And I too, in the next week, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but I'm also, I had worked on, Josh and I had this great idea. I was going to do half my album by myself, half my album live and in person. Psych, that didn't happen. Um, and instead kind of did this weird, like virtual sending things back and forth with my producer. Um, and like, thank God that is, being finished and is going to be finished and will be in people's ears in the next seven to 10 business days, um, which I'm very excited about. Notnim be'ahava reshut, which also comes from, from our Shachrit liturgy. What does it mean? It means to give loving invitation. It's like a moment where we're supposed to like look at each other like we're angels. And we're supposed to like, actually there's a Hasidic custom to like look at other people and like not go further, but to actually like wait to get permission from the people around you, which like, I love that. Also the fact that we're just casually calling ourselves angels is pretty dope. That's awesome. Can't wait to hear. Me too. Gabe, you know, Betzalel and Ohaliab were such artists. They were such amazing artists. And I feel like making a drink is just another way of creating a masterpiece of art. You know, I think I agree with you, but I want to I want to look at it in a slightly different way. I think that we've been talking today about music and musical midrash. Jackson referenced uh, this idea of the words calling out Darshani. Darshani of explain me. And we on this podcast do drashing just a little bit differently sometimes. And in this segment, we do what we call midrashic mixology, where we create a beverage based on the Torah portion. So this week, 
in honor of the clouds that followed the Mishkan, we are very proud to present Fire and Clouds. You're going to want to put a rosemary sprig over five pitted cherries without their stems, and you're going to hold a flame to the rosemary sprig until it catches fire. Congrats, we've got the fire. Then you're going to put a rocks glass upside down over the cherries and rosemary, extinguishing the flame. It will get all smoky in there. Hey, look, it's the cloud. Leave that for five minutes. So once you've done that, Put the now-smoked cherries into a shaker and muddle to a pulp. Add in two ounces of rye whiskey or another whiskey, you do you, one ounce of vermouth, and two dashes of bitters. Add ice and shake. Put new ice in your smoked glass and strain over the contents of your shaker. Garnish with two fresh cherries for Betzalel and Ohaliev and a fresh rosemary sprig. If you want to be extra cool, briefly ignite the new rosemary sprig and blow it out, serving while the rosemary is still smoking. For a non-alcoholic version, replace the whiskey and vermouth with three ounces of apple juice. Unless you're Rabbi Menachem Creditor, then use something else. Enjoy Lechayim. It sounds delicious. That sounds amazing. I love the cloudiness. I love the fire. I love the mixing of the cherries and the rosemary. I'm interested in how that's going to taste. I don't have any cherries. What would you recommend in place of cherries? In place of cherries? Hmm. That's, that's a good question. I'm not sure I have an answer. Could I use barberries? Like dried barberries? Is that a thing? Barberries? I don't know how to pronounce them. Yes. I'm going to try it. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> if it's bad, I'll blame it on myself. If it's great, you did a great job. Thank you. We thoroughly encourage people to experiment with the drinks, and if you want to try out using barberries, even though I don't know what those are, or cranberries, or another kind of berry, or something else, we thoroughly encourage you to try it out and let us know how it worked out. What was it called again? I called it Fire and Clouds. Fire and Clouds. Nice. I have a song about Fire and Clouds. Do you really? Uh, it's Anan Arafel from the Kabbalah Shabbat, but this, but the oh, the nice. turn of it is about Aish, the Aish Lefanav Telech is like this fire is like bursting forth out of the like the, the cloud, the firmament. Well, that was a totally intentional connection that <laughs> I made between the drink and your song. There you go. Yeah. What does Menachem have against apple juice? Uh, he's allergic to apples, which is a thing we learned when we made a spiced apple cider for his episode. <laughs> This episode has been such a high, I, I am a little hesitant to bring us down, but it is that time for thank yous and closing cues. And so Josh, Jackson, Idan, Gabe, one thing that Gabe made sure that we understood very clearly in this double portion is that even holy work needs to take a break. We need to rest. So what do you do to rest, to enjoy Shabbat, whatever that might mean for you? Josh, we'll start with you. Um, <laughs> what do I do to rest? I like to, uh, I, I've been reading a lot um, over the course of the pandemic as a whole, but especially on Shabbat is like my day where I um, am picking up a lot of books. So reading and also going on a lot of really great walks. We moved to Columbus, Ohio this summer and have been exploring the neighborhood uh, mostly on Shabbat, even in the snow. And it's been really lovely. It's always nice to get some fresh air. 
so true. I just came back from enjoying a little bit of time away from the city and it is beautiful, especially when you can kind of look out and actually enjoy the stars. Jackson, how about you, buddy? I'm really, really lucky. My fiance is also an artist. And one of the things that we both try to do before Shabbat is like frantically put away everything that's like work related, which is actually very hard to do. There's a lot of tools just kind of sitting around. Um, And I think there's something about not just not doing your work, um, but we almost like create a little different apartment that we live in, um, which feels really sweet to be able to exist in a world where granted we close a door to a particular room that houses said tools. Um, But there's something really incredible about being able to have a different space for Shabbat and to have just like a little taste of the world to come. Um, Although I don't know if the world would come would like not have our like things we like to do in them. I don't know. Unclear. Um, So I think that's something that both of us think is really, really important to being able to not only enjoy the Shabbat part, but to also go back once the week has started to actually be capable of working and be capable of being creative. Beautiful. Gabriel. You know, I actually got a pretty similar question recently. I am blessed to be in my second year of serving as the student cantor at Hevra of Southern Berkshire in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And one of my congregants asked a question of myself and of my supervisor, Rabbi Hirsch. And she said, you know, it occurs to me that rabbis and cantors, that clergy work on Shabbat, that almost all of your work is on Shabbat, that you probably work hardest on Shabbat. How, how do you deal with that? How do you square that with this idea of like taking Shabbat as like a time to rest and recuperate and do other things? And the rabbi looked at me and said, student cantor Snyder, do you have any ideas? Which either meant that he wanted to challenge me or that he didn't have an answer right there. Could be either. But what I said was the work of being a clergy person, the work of being a shliach tzibor, a leader of prayer, comes before the actual praying. It comes when you're practicing the songs and when you're writing your cue sheets and you're putting everything together and imagining what it's going to look like and what it's going to sound like. You do all of that work up front because if you're working while you're praying, then it's not really prayer. So that's my my first answer. My second shorter answer is that I love the West Wing and that always makes me happy. I would never have guessed that you might answer that way. E done. Well, I oftentimes try to rest and fail at it, but when I'm successful at actually resting, I don't know, I w- watch a lot of TV shows with my partner Agnes and play some video games and it, I suppose very stock, easy answers there, but yeah, that's that's how I like to relax and spend my free time. Wonderful. And we look, we encourage everybody who's listening to absolutely kick back, watch TV, listen to a podcast, preferably ours, but you do you. And, you know, just do things that really increase your joy. Uh, For me, I set a goal every week that I'm always going to do one sketch, usually uh, a cartoon that somebody requires or requests, depending on 
who they are. Some people demand and some people ask nicely and usually I'll do it either way. Um, But that's always been a really fun way for me to unwind and relax. And Gabe has spent plenty of uh, Shabbat sitting next to me, uh, watching me randomly doodle out a cartoon and then getting very confused about why it looks exactly like the image that I'm looking at. But weirdly, that's like a fun thing that happens sometimes when you actually like doing what you're doing and and enjoy creating art and, and beautiful pictures. But maybe that's a conversation for another time. But anyway, my two J's in a podcast, Josh and Jackson, if people want to continue the conversation with you, if they want to, you know, be able to talk about art, music, building community, what's the best way for them to find and or follow you? Jackson, we'll start with you. Great. I would be remiss if I didn't first plug my partner who uh, is currently in a Camp Nine and I Expedition Makers competition. Uh, she's dominating. Um, but if you want, this will still it'll still be going on. You can go and vote for her. Uh, and you can follow her online, Bina Design. Additionally, if you want to hear more about like creative Jewish products, if you're into Judaica, if you are looking for something specific, if you're a community who's like looking to make a ritual item different and like looking for a partner with that, you can follow us on Instagram or you can go online to Hidor Mitzvah with two D's dot uh, com. Uh, and if you're looking for prayer leadership or if you just like want to hear some of my music, if you want to hear my upcoming album, that's going to be maybe out by the time you listen to this. Who knows? Maybe by the end of this episode it will have uploaded who knows um you can just go to jacksonmercer.com and you can find me on facebook um, i don't do tiktok uh, i leave that to josh well that's an intro josh where can we find you where can we follow you unfortunately not on tiktok because i also don't have a tiktok but, but you do the dances you i've tried i've tried to do one or two i'm not very good at them maybe that's why i don't have one but uh, wherever you find your music, you could find my music. If you want to find the music and more, you can go to www.joshwarshawski.com. Music, resources, teachings, videos of the Chavir Ryan Varech band that we spoke about on the episode. Um, all that's up there and uh, more to come, hopefully, pretty soon. Super exciting. And so, Jackson, Josh, any last words, thoughts, or jokes? Thanks so much for having us. This was so nice. It was so great to get to be a part of this. This was really lovely. Thank you so much for including me and for letting me tease Josh for a little bit. It was truly our pleasure. Thank you so much, Josh, for being on the show and sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much, Jackson, for sharing your art knowledge and wisdom and wit. Thank you to Gabe for his shortest summary yet and an awesome drink to boot. And Idan. Thank you so much. We literally could not make this podcast without you. What a wonderful way to spend an evening. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. We'll see you next week. You know, Amanda, this week's Torah portion is all about building the Mishkan, building that sacred space. And we had two guests on who in their own way, build sacred space. They're absolutely a modern-day Betzalel and Oholiev. I mean, two artists who are really bringing all they have with all their heart to make a space where everybody can feel welcome and at home. I think that's really true. And the other big piece of this Torah portion, even though it's only those three verses at the top, 
is about Shabbat, is not only creating that sacred space, but also that sacred time. And both of our guests spoke to that as well. I love the idea of Shabbat being a a sacred time, but I also want to look at it in a slightly different way. One of the things that Josh and I spoke about during this episode was the idea that Moses actually has to tell the people to stop giving. There has to be a limit to, to what we put forward, to what we give of ourselves. And I think maybe one of the reasons Shabbat is so clearly defined and talked about in this space um, and in this dual Parsha is this idea of we sometimes need limits on the holy work that we do as well. Shabbat is a regular limit that we get to face every week, whether we're ready for it or not, which says, hey, slow down, take a break. Don't give everything you have because you'll never be able to replenish and you need to be able to take that time to fill yourself back up. I really love that. I think that's a really beautiful drosh on this portion. With that, we close this episode. Please remember, if you're on a platform that allows you to rate and review the podcast, we would love it if you would do so and share it on social media with all of your friends. Manda, any last words? Yeah, for those of you who made it this far, get excited. There's some bonus material coming to you next week. L'chaim. L'chaim. When you're droshing with your friends and you need a twist, Grab some Torah and grab your drink and go like this. <laughs> All right, that's what we got. <laughs> this is a sign that was just on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having us.